Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, and we'll be in verses 19 through 29 this week. The Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. The title of this morning's message is this, Where Are You After Easter? Uh, Last weekend was Resurrection Weekend, such a wonderful gathering of of services that we were blessed with here at Rocky Valley. We had a, a wonderful Good Friday service, a time to reflect on the Christ of cross, the, the, the Calvary's hill, and, and all of that, that that went on. We enjoyed a time of communion. We had uh, a wonderful Easter service last Sunday, an absolutely uh, full house for that. The Spirit was was just wonderful here in this place. We had a young lady say that she didn't want to have to doubt her standing with Christ anymore and wanted to give her, make sure that she knew she was on a firm foundation and wanted to give her life to Jesus. And, and the entire thing was just an amazing weekend and it seemed like it was over with in a blur. I don't know if it was that way for you guys, but, but all the excitement and the anticipation and the reverence and the focus and, uh, and looking at the Savior and, and all of those things... Looking at the empty tomb and, and all of those things, and it, and it was over with, uh, almost seemingly in a flash. And it, it, it reminded me of something that if we're not careful, we can, we can build up for that Easter, for that Resurrection Sunday. And if we're not careful, we can kind of let down after that. We can almost stop our study of Scripture at the penultimate moment in human existence at that big precipice. And so as we study this morning, we're going to be looking at what the disciples were doing right after Resurrection Sunday. What were they doing a week later? And we're going to look at our own lives. And so I invite you to ask yourself this question as we study, where are you after Easter? What are you doing a week after Easter this year? And so let us all stand in honor and reverence For the holy and infallible words of God from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight eight days, his disciples were again inside, Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the middle of the midst and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is bless the the reading of your word, Lord God. We ask that you would be about the teaching of your word, Lord God, and that we, as your people gathered here this morning, would draw nearer to you through looking at your word, God. God, we ask you bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all the great things that you do. And it's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. And now the first thing that I want us to look at this morning about about what happened a week after Easter is that some, some will be missing. Some will be missing. Verse 19 gives us a little insight into the timeline. It says, and then the same day. So what what same day? What are we talking about? Well, the same day that that we were talking about last Sunday morning, Resurrection Day. It is the evening of the day that we studied last week. So last week, we spent a lot of time focusing on Resurrection Morning. We focused on Mary and the ladies going to the tomb. We focused on the tomb being empty. But here we find ourselves in verse 19 at the evening of that day. So what is going on that day? The empty tomb has been found. Mary Magdalene has talked to Jesus. Jesus has preached to two men on the road to Emmaus. He's been out of his tomb the entire day. Some of the disciples have seen that the tomb is empty, but they've not really seen Jesus in his resurrected body yet. And so while they've seen that the tomb is empty, they've heard the lady's testimony I think the disciples probably are still in a little awe and a little wonder as to what exactly is going on. And so they've gathered themselves. But verse 24 gives us a little insight into something that I think we need to see. Look at verse 24 really quickly. It says, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve. He wasn't with them. And so we have the disciples gathered up in this room and one of them's Not there. So it's the evening after the tomb is empty. They're gathered together. and One of them hasn't even gotten to the gathering with the other disciples. We don't necessarily know the exact reason why Thomas isn't there. It doesn't tell us in Scripture. It doesn't say uh, Thomas wasn't there because he was busy counting money. Thomas wasn't there because he was tending to family affairs. Thomas wasn't there because of of X, Y, Z, or ABC. We don't get an exact definition as to why Thomas isn't there, but I think if we look a little bit at the life of Thomas, we'll get a little bit of insight into the faith of Thomas and, and kind of the mindset of Thomas, and it might let us know a little bit as to maybe why Thomas wasn't there. He's introduced to us back in chapter 11 of this gospel is where he's really talked about. And in chapter 11, Jesus is arriving in Bethany. This is the story of when Jesus would ride into Bethany, Lazarus having been laid in a tomb, and he would go to the tomb and he would say to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man would come strolling up out of the tomb to come and talk to Jesus. And so before they get to that, Thomas is hearing about what's going on, and he hears that they're going to Bethany, and he hears that Lazarus is dead, and Thomas says this simple word. He says, well, let us go that we may die as well. 
See, Thomas is faithful to the fact that he's going to follow Jesus to Bethany, but he has no clue what Jesus is doing when he gets to Bethany. Uh, Thomas is more worried about all the Jewish people that are going to be there that are against Jesus and how they might come upon them. And he says, well, I'll go with you, Jesus, even though Lazarus is already dead, and maybe we'll just die as well. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. In chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, it's a great story that that we like to quote as Christians, he says to his disciples, he says, I am going to prepare a place, and if I go to prepare a place, then you should know that I'm going to come and get you and take you to that place. In my father's house are many mansions, and he's telling his disciples about the mansion, he's going to prepare the place, he's coming back to give them, but Thomas, in the midst of Jesus giving comfort to the disciples about the fact that he's leaving, Thomas gets so caught up on the detail and he says, but wait a minute, Jesus. If I don't know the way that you're taking, how am I going to follow after you? You keep saying that you're going and I may follow after you, but if you don't tell me how to get there, how, how am I going to get there? And Jesus says to him, I am the way. No man gets to the Father except through me. He he preaches to Thomas. But Thomas, uh, for all of his zeal and all of his valiance and all of his faithfulness, he lacks something in an understanding of Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. And so he understood that he wanted to follow Jesus, but he, he, he understood that Jesus was special, but he struggled with exactly what was going on there. Now, let me point out, I don't think any of the disciples fully understood what Jesus was doing until they saw that the tomb was empty. I think that's when some of them started to realize all the things that Jesus had preached to them about going to a cross. But but Thomas, as, as he struggles, always seems to be especially skeptical. And I submit to you that Thomas quite possibly may be like many of us after Easter. He's simply missing from the gathering of the saints after Easter. He just simply finds himself struggling with what went on, struggling with, with focusing on it, being a little skeptical, not knowing if he should be tied in, and, and quite frankly, uh, not even attending. I, I think Thomas may very well have been looking at this situation and saying, well, for the past three years, I've followed this prophet. I've followed this man. I've loved this man. I've, I, I've been behind this man. I've been everywhere he's went, and now he's gone, and now the tomb is empty, and, and I don't even know where in the world he is. I don't know what's going on. And I, I just haven't laid my eyes on him yet. If he'd been back a day, surely he would have come and, and talked to us. Surely he would have presented himself. And I believe that Thomas, uh, while the other disciples are locked up in this room, misses out on it because he just couldn't find the importance of being there with them, of gathering with the saints after the resurrection. You see, church, we have a responsibility to gather with the saints in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's something that we want to do. We want to be with other believers in light of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. We stand and we cheer and we shout. And Katie's saying, he's alive. The the heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. And Resurrection Sunday, we can jump to our feet and shout to the top of our lungs that he's alive. But it seems like a few weeks later, a few days later, we seem to find ourselves like Thomas say, well, we said he's alive. But how's it affecting what I do in my life now? How's it changing anything in my life now that he's alive? 
guys, quite frankly, we should be remembering those who sat beside us last week who didn't make it back this week, and it's our responsibility to reach out to them and see how they're doing this week. What's going on? How are you doing? We missed you this week. We met you last week. We saw you the other day. Can I pray for you? Can I do anything for you? I miss you. We should be looking everywhere. Not just to the people that we saw last week. Everybody we come in contact with. We should say something crazy. I'm going to give you guys a little practical application here to what I'm saying. Will you come to church with me tomorrow? Tough question, isn't it? Hang on. Let me preach to this side. This side didn't get it. They're not real smart. Can you guys say this? Will you come to church with me tomorrow? All right, great. Two of you can. All right, so we have two ambassadors. In the middle, will you come to church with me tomorrow? There you go. Miss Roberta and Bo got it. Okay, so we have four people in the congregation capable. Guys, will you come to church with me tomorrow? That might be the most missional statement that you can utter out of your mouth. How do we witness to other people? Oh, well, we've got to know the Roman road of salvation. We need to know the doxology. We need to know the theology of creation and how the cross of Christ and the Christ of the cross and Calvary and the blood of Jesus, the substitutionary atonement. No! Will you come to church with me tomorrow? Can I pray for you? Those are those two missional statements that any church member could ever learn in their life. Will you come to church? Can I pray for you? The doors will open wide when you learn to utter those two sentences into other conversations. There are two people in this congregation whose names I will not mention for sake of embarrassing them. One of them is one of the older members of the congregation. One of them is one of the younger people in the congregation just a year or two removed from high school. They invite more people to church than everybody else in here combined. How do you know that, Brother Jason? I'll tell you how I know it, because they have more people come with them than anyone else in this church combined. And the more you invite, the more people come. It's not a difficult ratio. If you ask 100 people to come and one of them comes, you're one for 100. But if you ask zero to come, guess how many are going to come? There you go. Invite people to church. What's going on after Easter? Some are missing. Some are missing because the people inside don't care enough to invite them to come. Will you come to church with me? Can I ask you a question? What is the absolute worst thing they can say when you ask them that? No and get away. away. I've never even gotten a get away. Do you know that? I'm a preacher and I've never had anybody tell me to get away. They usually just say no. But let's say they say get away. It's not going to kill you. You say, well, why is that so important, Brother Jason? Well, you're a preacher and you're looking for big numbers. You want big numbers. You just want big numbers. You're one of them preachers looking for big numbers. No, I don't care about big numbers. In as much as just to have numbers. You know what I care about? I care about what Thomas missed because he wasn't gathered. I care about what people miss when they don't gather with the saints. What happened when, they, when Thomas wasn't there? Look at what happened, folks. Jesus walked in. Now, I don't know that he walked in. It doesn't tell me he walked in. It tells me that the doors were barred up tight. 
That word for shut up literally means they had locked themselves up in this place. You couldn't get in. They were fearful of the Jews. They were afraid they were going to come and crucify them too. They shut the doors up tight. So the doors were locked and then Jesus was with them. I don't know if he unlocked the door divinely. I don't know if he walked through the door. I don't know if he slid down through the chimney. I don't know if he come up through the floor. I don't know if they were just sitting around and he was there. What I know is that miraculously when someone shouldn't have been able to get in, someone got in and what did he say? Peace be with you. Can you think of anyone in your life that needs to hear Jesus say to them, peace be with you? And they miss out on that because they're not there. But what else did Jesus do? He says, peace be with you. But he also gives them a command. He gives them a comfort. Then he gives them a command. Go. He gives them a direction. You need to be going the way that I went. And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And Thomas missed it. And he missed it simply because he wasn't there. Why do we want people to come to the house of God? Because they miss something if they're not here. Because they miss something if they're not here. And if we're not doing something in here where if they're not here they miss something, we might as well close up shop. Because we're not doing enough to invite people to come to. When you don't invite people to church, it simply says to them, we don't do anything in there worth you coming to see. So if you believe that there's anything going on inside of your church worthy of someone seeing that they might miss something if they're not here, if you care about them at all, you'll at least say, will you come to church with me? And I'm not talking about Will you come and hear my amazing preacher and all his good looks? I'm not saying will you come and hear our amazing singers and all their beautiful voices. Will you hear my amazing Sunday school teacher and the way that he presents a lesson? It's will you come to the house of God with me and see Jesus? Will you come with me and see Jesus? Because I care enough about you to ask you being here. Because when we miss, we miss something. When we're not here, there's something missing in our lives. And we want to see Jesus. So some of us will be missing. The next thing I want us to look at is that some of us are doubting. Look with me again at verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to them, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. This is where we get the phrase, doubting Thomas. I toyed with the title of this sermon, Pouting Thomas, Doubting Thomas, and Shouting Thomas, but I went another direction. But this is where we get that phrase, doubting Thomas. He wasn't there. He wasn't even there. Can I point that out to you again? He wasn't even there. But like a good Baptist congregation, when he showed up, everybody told him what he missed. You won't believe what happened, Thomas! Guess what? So here's how it went. Thomas, we were sitting here minding our own business, right? Because the doors was locked because we were scared that if somebody got in, they might hurt us. So we locked them doors up tight. I mean, they were shut up. 
And we were just sitting around. We were thinking about what Mary had said about Jesus. We were thinking that Peter and John may have been off their rocker because they said the tomb was empty too. And I mean, you know, what did we send? We sent the one that loses his temper and the one that he loved Jesus so much. So can we really trust what they said? So we were just sitting there wondering, were Peter and John, were they as crazy as Mary? Was the tomb even really empty? We were sitting there. Matthew, you remember Matthew, he knows a lot about the government. He said it was a conspiracy, that they had conspired and they hadn't even really killed Jesus. And so we didn't even think it was real. Some of us, we even begin to say that it must have been a soldier who had swept in and taken that body out and he'd done it just to throw the rest of us off. Thomas, we were all right there with you. We didn't believe that anything was going on. We were locked up and suddenly when we were doubting Jesus the most, when we were locked up the most, I looked up, Thomas, and you'll never believe what happened. Jesus was standing there. And he said, peace, and then he breathed the Holy Spirit on me. I got the Holy Ghost revival right there in that moment. And I can't wait to open them doors and go tell somebody what I just saw. Thomas, you missed it. I don't even know where you was at. Thomas, though, because he's a better Baptist, said, yeah, sure thing, guys. Can't you just see Thomas as he stands up out of his pew and strolls to the front of the business meeting? This is Mr. Moderator. I need a word, please. Now listen, guys, I wasn't even here. But I'm going to have to say that I don't believe this account that you're giving. Now I wasn't here, so I don't know what really went on in this place while I was gone, but apparently the rest of you went off your rocker. You think you saw a dead man in your presence? And so what I'm going to say is there's bound to be a logical explanation, folk, for what happened. As a matter of fact, I'm so confident in that that I'm going to say this. Unless I can place my fingers in those nail-scarred hands and push my hands into the side of that pierced body. <laughs> Unless you can make that happen, guys, I'm not buying it. You guys are so emotional, you never think with logic anyway. You expect me to believe that Jesus. Now, I didn't stick around for the scene of the cross either, guys, so I can't really speak to exactly what happened. But John, and I trust John, John said that they pierced his side and blood came out. And they drug him off that tree, his lifeless body they laid in a tomb. And you expect me to believe that anyone could endure the punishment of Friday would be alive just three days later on Sunday. I just don't buy it, guys. I don't believe that that's what happened, guys. I, I doubt that that could be realistic. Now, we laugh at Thomas, don't we? What do you mean, Thomas? How could you be so doubtful? But is it really that much different than we are in our culture today? How many people heard the gospel last week and went away saying, yeah, but let me see this Jesus in my life today. Let me feel this Jesus present in my life today in this time. I heard the preacher talking that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. But if Jesus is alive, why don't he fix this situation in my life? Why don't he touch my situation? Why don't he make everything better for me? Why do I still hurt? Why do I still have problems? Why do these things still go on? I'll believe in Jesus for real when I see Jesus for real. How many people walked away with that same attitude? Church, our responsibility is to make sure that the realness of Jesus 
is our Savior is real to us. We have to make sure that we're living our lives in such a way that everyone that we encounter realizes that we serve a risen Savior, that we've placed our hands in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, that we've cast all our hope in Jesus Christ in an empty tomb and a bloody cross, that that is where everything that we have, every power, every fiber of our being is rooted in this Messiah, Jesus. And if we don't live our lives in that way, then how can those who are doubting look at us who are supposed to know him and have any assurance that Jesus is the Messiah? I believe in Jesus, brother. Good. So did Thomas. But he still doubted his power. He still doubted what Jesus could do for him. You know the greatest way to share your faith with someone is to wear your faith on the outside. The greatest way for you to embrace someone who has doubt about the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to live your life in such a way that you say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't even stand on my own. I can't even walk without Jesus holding my hand. And when we live our lives in that way, when we go through a storm and we say, I've got nothing left to stand on but Jesus Christ, all the skeptics around you can be as skeptical as they want to. But when they look at you and they say, how are you doing this? And you say, Jesus. They cannot believe as much as they want to. But in that moment, they at least have to realize that your faith is in something more than they have. That Jesus is present in your life. I am afraid that too many of us struggle with that. Because we come to church and walk through it and walk through our lives with an attitude like Thomas. Well, I'll believe in it when I get this next great manifestation. When I get this next great sign, that's when I'll really give it all to Jesus. Folks, if you're waiting on the next great sign, then you didn't get the first one. Because I don't know about you, but one day in my life, when I realized that my sin separated me from a heavenly Father God, and that if I quit breathing at that moment, my eternity would be in hell for my sin. And when I realized that in my life, and I cried out to the only thing that could cleanse me from my sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And I said, Jesus, save my soul. Can I just tell you, I don't need another manifestation of Jesus in my life. I got enough that time for me to know that I went from dead to alive, that I went from laying in my trespasses, in my muck, in my mire, to heaven bound and blood bought. And I don't need Jesus if he don't do nothing else for me the rest of my life. If I die a desolate, broke man, penniless, with no home, he already paid all of the debt that needed to be paid for me on Calvary's hill. He's already done more for me than I deserved when he saved my filthy soul. I don't need, I, I don't need him to come down and let me touch his hands because I just know that his hand stretched out for me. I don't need another manifestation. And I think so many of us miss out on being present with Jesus and the best part of walking with Jesus because we're waiting on him to just do something else big for us. Realize he already did enough on Calvary's hill. And so some of us are missing some of us are doubting. 
But bless God, verses 26 and 27, we start to see that some of us, some of us are praising. Let's, let's all work to get in this last group. Look at verse 26 with me. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And let me just clarify. It says, after eight days. In the way that they count days, they would count the day that they were on as the first. So this is technically next Sunday. It's today in terms of the calendar. So last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. It's, it's today that they're gathered now. Jesus has been there once. Thomas missed it. But this time, Thomas is back. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice that it's the same presentation, essentially, that Jesus had the first time. He says, all right, Thomas, you didn't want to buy it the first time when my disciples and your friends told you what happened. I'm going to come, and I'm going to do it again. And can you imagine Thomas in verse 27? Can you imagine Thomas in verse 27? He's hanging out. It's been a week, right? He's already told him, I ain't going to believe until I put my hands in his hands. I ain't going to believe until I touch his, his side. I'm not going to believe in any of this mess y'all are talking about. And so for a week, Thomas has been hanging out. And I bet the other disciples were thinking, when's Jesus coming again? So this guy will shut up. But can you imagine Thomas sitting there smugly, perhaps? And suddenly he looks up. And there's Jesus. Can you imagine how crushed Thomas must have felt for his doubt? Can you imagine what Thomas must have felt as he looked up? And I don't believe that Thomas had to get his hands in the side to know it was Jesus. I don't believe that Thomas needed to touch those hands at that point in time. I believe just being in his presence and Thomas knew this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the one who came to save us all. And I doubted him when the tomb was empty. Jesus says to Thomas, get up, come here. I know you're struggling, Thomas. I know your faith, your faith is struggling right now, but you're going to do great things for me in your life. You're going to go out and preach me in places that, that you've never been before. So I need you to come up because I need to solidify your faith in this moment. Come here, Thomas, let me see your finger. Place them right here where the nails were. Thomas, come here. There's a hole in my side. I, I want you to put your hand there and know that it's real. I want you to embrace me, Thomas. I want you to, to understand me, Thomas. Thomas, I want you to grasp me because I've got a call on your life to go do things that you don't need any doubt while you're on your way. And what happens after Thomas embraces Jesus? He cries out one, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Now here's the importance of that. That first word, my Lord, literally translates leader or master. So he's saying, Jesus, you are my master, you're my commander, you're my leader. But he goes further, and I think that's the important part. Jesus has been his master for three years. He's been following him. He's been doing basically what he commanded for three years. So to acknowledge him at master wasn't nearly as big a deal as when he says the second, and he says, my 
God. He says, my Lord, my master, and my creator. My master, my sustainer. Jesus, you are my everything. You created it all. You thought it all. You bought it all. It's yours, and I am yours. And I believe that you are my God. You're my cornerstone. You're my defense. You're my everything. And so this morning, I ask you this question. Where are you after Easter? Where are you after Easter? Because Jesus is here in the midst. And he's looking out to you, those who are maybe dealing with a little doubt or struggle. And he's simply saying this. Will you come place your hands in my side? Will you put your fingers where the nails were driven? Will you go from a place of unbelief and doubt to a place of belief in life? was a young lady walked the aisle last week so bravely. You think it takes courage to walk down the aisle when you've never been to church? Wait until you've been at church your whole life. And everybody has an expectation of you that they think you're already what you were supposed to be. And you have to step out and walk down that aisle and say, I don't know that I know, but I don't want to doubt anymore. It takes courage. I get asked that question all the time. Brother Jason, what, what if I have doubts about my salvation? Well, it's very simple. I know but one thing in this life that's not worth having question or doubt about, and that's my salvation. And so if you don't know that you know that you know, come forward and ask Jesus to save you. You say, what if I was already saved? Well, you can't be no more saved, but at least you'll feel better about it. Because my God is not a doubt of doubt, God of doubt, but let me put this in your mind real quickly. God would have nothing to gain by putting doubt in your heart. But neither would Satan. Because if Satan causes you to doubt, he may cause you to turn to God, and that's not what he's looking for. Satan doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. Satan wants you to think you're good or talk yourself into being good. So if you have any concern, come work that out with God this morning. Don't leave out of here a doubting Thomas. Leave out of here a praising Thomas. Leave out of here a shouting, Thomas. And let us all be compelled that we would find ourselves like that last group, praising Jesus after the resurrection. Let's not wait till next Easter to shout Jesus' name again. If something's keeping you from that, you come lay it at his feet this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we find in that empty tomb, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that even a week later that you showed yourself to a disciple and you said, place your hands in mine. Touch my side. And God, if there be someone here today living with doubt, living in struggle, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and the conviction to reach out and touch your side, Lord Jesus. To come to your altar and say, God, I can't do this without you. And be able to lay their burden down and leave this place praising and shouting your holy, glorious name, Jesus. God, please be glorified in everything that we say and everything we do. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.